Welcome everyone. My name is Alexis Folk and I'm your proud host of the Meeting Ready People podcast. Today I'm pleased to introduce Melissa Lyon. I first met Melissa at the BC Cerebral Palsy Association workshop this February. When I heard her story, I thought, oh my gosh, I need to have her on my show. Melissa has a university degree in the area of inclusive education, and she also practices martial arts. Great job, Melissa. Melissa happens to have cerebral palsy and epilepsy. She's truly amazing. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Melissa, tell us a little bit about your, who you are. All right. Thanks, Alexis. I would like to start by thanking you for having me on your show. I'm so impressed with you and your podcast idea. What a great way to create awareness about disabilities and inclusion. So a bit about me. I'm 26 years old, and I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and epilepsy when I was one. My cerebral palsy affects my speech, fine motor, and gross motor skills, but I try not to let that slow me down. My epilepsy is my biggest challenge, though, because I've not yet been able to get my seizures totally under control. Luckily, there are small seizures mostly in my face, so that I can still work and do lots of fun stuff. They're just a pain. They're just a pain in the neck, literally. Um, my in- outside of work, my interests include karate, puzzles, video games, walking, and expert Lego. Um, I have a re- I also have a real passion for advocating for people with disabilities and trying to create more inclusive environments. Awesome, meet you. You are working on a black belt in karate. How long have you been working at this for? Um, great question. Um, I started karate eight years ago when my school was offering an adaptive karate class for people for students with for people with disabilities. Um, I absolutely loved it. From this experience, my family helped to open a dojo, and I've been doing karate ever since. We now have seventeen members, several of which who have disabilities. Some of the karate moves have had to be adapted for me because of my cerebral palsy, but I've been very lucky to have two senses that are very open to trying to make karate as accessible for me as possible. In fact, I earned, I earned my ground belt during the pandemic, so now, now I am now working on getting my black belt. My goal is to get my black belt by the time I'm 30. My- Melissa, you have a degree in special education. Why did you choose this path in education? Great question. Yes, I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education that I got from um, from University of Victoria. And I also have a master's degree in special education that I got from uh, Vancouver Island University. Um, Ever since I was little, I always wanted to be a teacher. In fact, there are photos of me as young as five holding a chopstick for a pointer on a blackboard, teaching a bunch of my stuffed animals as they were were students. 
There are several people in my in my extended family that were teachers, so I came by that path naturally. And when I, as I grew older, facing the challenges that came with having a disability, I realized that the one way to make the world more inclusive is to be part of the solution. So I knew I had a passion for creating inclusive environments and advocating for people with disabilities. But I wanted to back up my classroom with the necessary knowledge to teach others about disabilities, inclusion, and accessibility. Special education just seemed a great way to pair my love of teaching with my passion for making a good difference in the world. Awesome, Melissa. I hope to become a psychologist and get one a degree through the University of Victoria as well, because they seem accessible. That's awesome. Tell us, tell us about your university experience. Was it accessible to you? Um, interesting question. Um, for the most part, my university education was, was enlightening and positive. Like any place in society, though, there are people who embrace inclusion and those who aren't quite there yet. I think that we still have a ways to go before people are fully accepting of the differences that come with having a disability. But I believe that through education and just having people like you and me, Alexis, enrolled in university and present and getting present there, giving it our guests are ways that we can get there. As far as accessibility at university as far as accessibility at university, adaptations were sometimes necessary. I remember being in a lecture hall trying to get down the stairs to present on the stage and there were no handrails, so I struggled with rock, struggled with getting to where I needed to be. I think that universities are really open to being accessible, but I had to learn to become a strong advocate for myself and speak up if I needed adaptations or sought inequities in the system. Nice to meet you. Matter of fact, I actually interviewed my superintendent. Cool. How, how has your life experience prepared you for your current careers, Melissa? Um, being a person with a disability, I've encountered several people throughout my life who haven't been the most inclusive, and I've also encountered physical spaces that weren't always accessible to me. These experiences have given me empathy, knowledge, and the motivation to make the world more inclusive and accessible. I currently have three part-time jobs where I can share my life experiences as I work towards my goal of being a strong advocate for inclusion and accessibility. I work at the University of Victoria as a learning experience designer for accessibility, where I help to spread awareness about accessibility and inclusion and make resources and courses more accessible for all students. I also work at Capilano University in continuing ed where I teach two online courses related to inclusion, diversity, and accessibility. In addition, I also work at the Cerebral Quality Association of DC, where I am a disability consultant, blog writer, and Facebook moderator. In fact, right now, I'm very excited to go to the resource guide that we've created for families and people who have cerebral palsy. We are having virtual launch events across Vancouver Island to celebrate the completion of this guide. And the first one actually is tomorrow. If anyone's interested in finding out more about these resource guides, 
and or the launch events. Please see the Cerebral Policy Association of BC's website or their Facebook page. I think that my life experiences as a person with a disability, along with my education in the field of special education, have prepared me well for all these jobs that I absolutely love. Awesome. What does it mean to be a disability consultant? What does that entail? That basically means like I spread awareness about disabilities and just try to share my story as much as possible. And I also um, like creating resources for people, about people with disabilities and that kind of thing. So basically in, in a short sentence, um, just uh, spreading awareness and trying to make the world as inclusive as, as possible. When teaching others, are there any priority pieces to access inclusion, diversity, and universal design you like to teach first before other parts primarily? Great question. Um, from my work on the team at the Cerebral Causey Association of BC with an amazing mentor named Jesse Sullivan, I learned that before trying to make change in people, it is always best to build a sense of belonging in the group. I think that this is done by identifying, recognizing, and using people's strengths to further the cause. If trying to create change of any sort, I would always start by trying to make sure everyone feels like they belong and have something to offer. Part of belonging for me is creating respect, and I think that is done by teaching people about inclusive language and making sure that their environments are set up so that everyone can succeed. So I would prioritize these topics, if that makes sense. Thank you, Melissa. Melissa, you wrote an article called How to Overcome Unconscious Bias. Would you please tell us why you chose to write on this topic? Excellent question, Alexis. Um, well, in my experience, the biggest barrier to inclusion is people's attitudes and prejudgments about people with disabilities. As we all have unconscious ideas about people when we first meet them. But as I said in my article, these thoughts aren't always correct. I'm hoping that my article will encourage people to think twice about making prejudgments before they know the whole story. When I first met you, you talked about a framework. Can you outline the framework you referred to and explain why you find it useful? Yes, of course. I love using that framework. The framework was called the Good Life Buckets Model, and it was created by a person named Jonathan Fields. He has written a full book on the topic, and it's called How to Live a Good Life. In his model, Jonathan Fields says that we should think about our lives as having three buckets, a contribution bucket, a vitality bucket, and a connection bucket. He says that we should regularly consider how four buckets are in these in each of these areas, and if they're running a bit empty, consider ways to fill them up. He may also makes the good point that if one bucket runs dry, it will affect the other buckets. So to live a good life, we should try to contribute to society, stay healthy in our mind and our body, and have lots of connections with other people. Personally, I like this model because it gives me a quick and easy way to reflect on my life and make tweaks if I feel like I'm missing out in one area. 
right? It's probably easy to teach people about too when you have to. It's yeah. certain workshops or um, Zoom meetings that you do. Yeah, I love, I love talking of that framework. Awesome. Melissa, people, so, some people like to be referred to as a disabled person and others like to be referred to as a person first. What are your thoughts on disability language and how it's used to describe who you are? Thank you, Alexis. Great question. Um, I first like the person-first language, which basically puts the person before the disability. I know that some people have to like to have have other. I know that some other people have other preferences, though. So it's important to always ask what people preferences are before making assumptions. I personally like person-first language best because I think it acknowledges that the person should be the focus rather than the disability. I think it is about respect. I think it's also about respect and dignity. Um, the same goes for using outdated language. I think like I think like words like handicapped or the R word have bad connotations and not are not respectful at all, in my opinion. So what they, other words would you use that are more respectful? Um, I would personally I personally would use like um I would say for myself, I would say, Melissa, I am Melissa and I have cerebral palsy and or epilepsy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use outdated language because it's quite, um, quite hurtful and you never know, you never know who you're talking to because if I, if I, you never know what the ex person is experiencing. So that's why I always am cautious about outdated language, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, and I also wanted to say that when labels are necessary to describe a person with a disability, I really try to be specific in these details. And I kind of touched on this in my last example that I just said. But basically, I learned from uh, um, I learned from Peter Brown, who is the president of the Cerebral Palsy Association of BC, that details are important. So, another way to look at speaking inclusively is is saying something instead of saying something like, and this is an example, something like Johnny has a disability, which can come with many preconceived ideas. It would be better to state how the disability affects the person by saying something like, Johnny has mobility issues which limit his ability to climb the stairs. When people use words like disabled or disability without giving more background, it can lead to all sorts of misconceptions about what the person actually experiences. Right? I really dislike when people use language without knowing what the person is experiencing. Yeah, I echo that. This is, all, this, this is also a related question to your article. Is there a way to teach people to think about their biases differently and change their language? 
As I was saying in my article, I think that the first step was to be mindful of your own assumptions so that you don't automatically judge people based on things that might not be true. I think that if people make an effort to expose themselves to a diverse group of people that includes people with disabilities, they'll see that people with disabilities have strengths and can contribute to society. They all, it's all, I, find, I find that it's quite, I find quite often that people with disabilities have unique experiences and, and preconceptions that can enrich an activity or an institution. Um, I think that a final way to decrease biases is to become educated about the about unconscious bias itself and about inclusion. In the article you referred to, Alexis, that can it that it can be in the article that you referred to, it can be found on the Cerebral Policy Association and Obesity's website. I give a couple of resources that might help with this. I also have many more resources that I can share. So if anyone is interested in finding out more about this or, or any of the other topics we talked about today, um, please don't hesitate to email me at m.line.telus.net. Melissa, I also have a quick question. Are there any adaptive activities you really liked in PE when you were in school, like Frisbee or things like that? Um, I, I really like doing karate and I also like doing rock climbing. Those are like my two top favorite adaptive, adaptive activities in high school. Interesting. This is my last question. What do you think makes a mighty person, Melissa? What a fantastic question, Alexis. Um, several things come to mind for me. I think that a mighty person stands up for themselves and advocates for others and themselves when they see an inequity. A mighty person isn't afraid to fail and, when, and they have a growth mindset, seeing mistakes as learning opportunities. A mighty person tries new things and goes outside your comfort zone to grow as a person. Most of all, I think that a mighty person goes for their dreams and doesn't let challenges overtake them. Thank you for that answer. Hello, listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meeting Mighty People podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please consider subscribing to my MailChimp so that you can get email updates of my blog and podcast episodes. Also, if you know of anyone who you think would benefit from listening to the Meeting Mighty People podcast, go ahead and spread the word. We appreciate your consideration and support towards spreading the word of the Meeting Mighty People podcast. This is Alexis Folk, host of the Meeting Mighty People podcast, signing off. Until next time. <laughs>